It's a COVID-19 response fund. It's so far paid out, get this, they've paid out $16 million in grants to a variety of short-term arts projects. Over the past few months, Creative NZ has been giving out grants to help fund the arts in New Zealand. Now, last week, the Taxpayers' Union put out a list highlighting some of the more unusual projects, and it caused a bit of mirth. Louis, this this is a great list, mate. I have not laughed so much since the first time I saw the Blues Brothers. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, we, we had a good laugh as well. I mean, so many of these grants, 637 of them. And... To be fair to them, there's some pretty odd stuff in there. 27500 to Julia Gray to support the personnel, costs and post-production editing for an arts documentary based on Papua New Guinea's tattoo practice and revival. You could do a, a spoken word performance about uh, struggling albinos in Wellington. I'm so looking forward to that play about the menstrual cycle. Or just middle-aged or ageing males with an alcohol problem. We could do, I could do a play about that, couldn't I? Regarding these nut bar grants, these people need some help. I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, we're looking at Creative NZ. What does it do? How does it decide what to fund? And what does that money mean to the artists who get it? I technically got enough money to pay me for 40 hours work a week for three months. But in reality, that money will last me for six months plus because I I live pretty frugally, so it'll let me, you know, survive till mid-next year or, like, you know, the first first few months of next year. That's writer and comedian Eamon Mara. He got a 13 grand grant from Creative NZ in July for a project to research and write the first draft of a novel about male affection in hypermasculine spaces. Naturally, that put him on the Taxpayers Union's hit list, and he ended up getting into a Twitter spat about it. So I applied for a grant to work on a new novel. It's about two two guys who go to an all boys school together, and they have like a nice friendship in this school despite it being an environment which doesn't encourage nice friendships. And then later on they meet again in a gym years later. So uh, it's kind of, that's that's the broadly what the book's about. Uh, but it, I've gone into lots more specifics than that for um, interested parties. And hey, this might sound great to you, it might sound lame to you, that's kind of the nature of a synopsis. You know, Harry Potter could be summarised as magical teenager fights wizard Hitler... The old man of the sea could be old fisherman catches big fish. I wanted to know what the funding application process was like. Eamon's a reasonably established author, so what, did he just put in an application and Creative NZ wrote a cheque? That's something which I found kind of annoying about a lot of the responses. Like, people were writing, like, you know, couplets of, of tweets about men kissing or whatever, and then they were like, see, I could get this, where's my money? But it was a really detailed process I needed to put in kind of a plan of how I was going to like spend my days, I needed to do a budget, I needed to send in a writing sample, I had to have letters of recommendation, I had to like have some proven stuff, so I put in like reviews from my previous book, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it feels like more like applying for a job than just getting some charitable money. You've been in the arts business for some years. Um, how much money do you make? N- not much. Um Depends on depends on the year, depends on how much work I've been doing, but often uh, nothing. And from from the arts, and I have to work other jobs. Um, this last year, I published a book which gave me a three thousand dollar advance, 
which um, that's how much I got for writing my first book, and that'll come out of the royalties I get until I sell probably about 1,200 copies, I think, and then I'll start getting paid again for more sales than that. I mean, 1,200 copies is you know quite a lot for a New Zealand book to sell. Uh, and then on top of that, I got some money from Radio New Zealand for um, adapting it for broadcast and for the, the rights for that. And I'll make some, you know, $200, $300 here and there for writing for an article for the spin-off or something like that. What sorts of stuff do you do beyond writing? Um, well, I'm also a comedian and performer, so I've done shows in the Comedy Festival a number of times. Uh, I've also taught stand-up comedy for the Comedy Festival in the Class Comedians program. I've done workshops in schools for various other things. I've had office jobs. I've had an office job in the book industry, which was cool. Uh, I've been on and off the dole. I've studied, yeah, all of those sorts of things. Sometimes I'll get, you know, a, a, an opportunity like once I was on TV doing comedy, which gave me a couple of thousand dollars again, and then, yeah, that kind of thing. So when you get 13 grand for a project like this, that that, that must be a pretty big deal. Yeah, that's like, that's more than I get paid most years for my work in the arts. So, like some years, yeah, it's, it's the most I've been paid for my work in the arts over about eight years of working in it in some form. Stephen Wainwright is the chief executive of Creative NZ. I asked him what the organisation's actual role and remit is. Creative New Zealand's been around for um, over 50 years, actually. I think we were the first um, public entity established by the people of New Zealand through Parliament to really be a public um, investor in the arts for the benefit of all New Zealanders. So we kind of do, you know, um, three or four main things under our statute. What we're best known for is, you know, allocating resources to practitioners and to communities and to arts organisations to do stuff which the the public enjoys. Um, We also have a statutory responsibility to advocate for the arts. And we also do a lot of work really supporting the sector and practitioners to develop their capacity and skills to do their work the best they can in a very fast-changing world. That, in a nutshell, is why we're here. You actually operate according... You have sort of a mixed funding model, right? Some of your money comes from central government, some comes from the Lotteries Commission, is that it? That's absolutely right, yes. Like most countries, Commonwealth countries, it was deemed to be a good thing to separate um, the political system from the allocation of resources. Um, So we have a board and, of course, because we're part of the Crown, we've got um, accountability uh, for Africa. But we also have, like, essentially a contract with the government who says, you know, can you do these things on our behalf for New Zealanders, please? Can you explain a bit about the Creative NZ funding process? Like, how does an idea that somebody pitches at Creative NZ go from paper to receiving funding? Yes, I I can, I hope, (laughs) explain that. Um, So, uh, as you'd appreciate, we've been in the um, tricky business of funding for a long time. And and basically what the process is, as you might expect, is the person who wants to put the hat in the ring outlines a proposal. You know, it's quite a detailed thing. People sometimes say it's too complicated, but on the other hand, we say, well, this is public money. And... um, it's a highly competitive process. So if you if you want to succeed in the process, you're well advised to put forward a compelling proposal because you know ordinarily, you know, 
between one and four and, and, and uh, one and five is about what gets over the line. So first of all, we look at the quality of the idea. And then so the person will say, well, you know, this is my proposal. Um, you know, I'm wanting to write a book. And, and the thing that really interests me is exploring, you know, affection in hypermasculine spaces, right? So that, that's an example. Um, and then they will explain that what sits behind that, who they might be collaborating with, and what they're looking for public money for. So depending on the art form, that might be, um, I just really need two months to give this my full attention. Can you just pay me a stipend, please? So that would be quite a simple proposal. And someone else might say, well, actually, I'm a pretty well-known band. I might be Fat Freddy's Drop, but touring and reaching regional New Zealand communities is really expensive. I'm going to take 20 people on the road for five weeks. It's going to cost all in all X dollars. Could you please contribute Y dollars towards it? And, and, and then they'll explain to us in detail um, how the budget's going to work. And so we look at these you know, enormously wide range of proposals. And, and, the, and the key thing with our decision-making um, which is completely uh, so we've been misrepresented by some people around this but in short our processes are all led by peers so it's not you know a bunch of you know bureaucrats in Wellington uh, dreaming up what they like and don't like based on their own personal values it's in fact like a lot of academic processes I suppose it's peer experts from the sector looking at proposals from their peers and forming views about which of them are the most compelling. And that's, you know, how we've generally run our enterprise, and it's how most arts councils actually work um, around the world, because we think that's the fairest for practitioners, and we don't think it's, it's right for our staff to be both giving advice and then, in a sense, having to assess their own advice by making recommendations about who gets funding. In 2018-19, the organisation paid out nearly $50 million in grants, but not everybody agrees with the system. Like, I honestly think it's probably not the best process that can be done to give money to the arts because it just ends up going to people who are really good at filling out forms, so people who have connections to lawyers and accountants and those types of people who may not be the most deserving of the grants. So I don't think that the application process is necessarily like the best way to distribute money to the arts, even though I think that distributing money to the arts is very important. And would you look at this, a rare moment of agreement. Sort of. Look, these people are clearly very good at filling out application forms, and they tick the right boxes. I mean, it's the usual, it's the usual stuff you can imagine applying for a government grant. If you're um, representing what they call a marginalised group, then you're in, you're in with a grin, basically, for taxpayer money. You've been with, with Creative NZ since, what, 2008, there or thereabouts? Presumably you're, you're a bit of an arts guy. I mean, can you kind of see, let's be honest, some of them do sound on paper really weird and wanky and wishy-washy, right? Like, they, they, they do. Absolutely they do. And if you've ever looked at, um, and I, I had this experience recently where, where I was at a graduation, I listened to the to the titles of, of the PhD you know dissertations, and you know it was like a foreign language. Um, but actually, I've got confidence that the university system knows how to manage and work with people who want to take their intellectual pursuits to the highest possible level with a doctorate, mm. and that what they're doing. 
um, in that process is, is actually fine. And I can get that somebody who's not particularly interested in the arts or doesn't want to take the time to understand in a deep way what's going on might look at the shorthand version of something and say, that's weird and wanky. I, t- I totally get that. And in fact, if you look at, at, at many areas of endeavour, whether it's academia, whether it's science, whether in fact it's some types of business grants for things, you do need to make sense of it, a level of insider knowledge for it to really, you know, be meaningful. But I think there's a bigger issue that sits behind that, which is my personal view is that most public institutions, I think at least in New Zealand, do a really good job. If you've got doubts about what they do, then you should take your issues up with them and say, hey, this seems ridiculous, I don't understand, da-da-da, and then you might in fact have an adult conversation about it, mm. and that and that might take you forward somewhere. I think it is a low blow to um, parody and take out of context what um, applicants have put forward, and then when you Peel the onion on that, you can actually see that, you know, there's a lot of depth to all those proposals. They've all been looked at very hard, and in nearly every case, you know, they're delivering things to the public that matters to the public. I know why that they're doing that, and I also know why they're targeting the arts, because generally New Zealanders do not care about New Zealand arts unless, you know, it's it's really big, unless it's Eleanor Catton or Taika Waititi or... You know, even like a band like the Beths, who have been doing really well overseas, suddenly like New Zealanders start caring about them then. So they've targeted the arts because most people do look at this and think, oh, that's a waste of money. But then that's the thing is like, it is impossible for the like lesser known New Zealand artists to compete economically with the big players. Like you can't compete with those like economies of scale that a big publisher like, you know, Penguin Random House, like the international uh, company of that or Disney would 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 make you you just cannot compete economically on that scale so as much as some of these things may seem you know a bit silly it's like do we want New Zealand to be able to express itself in it on its own terms mm. and that's you know I think the answer to that is yes personally maybe some people don't care about it it seems like maybe most people don't care about that but most people do consume some sort of media or art in the first place and I think if you broke down a lot of those projects like a lot of them would have received funding from governments or tax breaks or things like that at some stage. So I don't think there is any media that is entirely funded through the traditional capitalist method. Tell me a bit about how COVID has affected um, the arts scene in New Zealand. Because I, I guess, you know, in, intuitively you might think that, you know, something like a global pandemic where everyone is locked inside for weeks on end might not necessarily change things up that much for, particularly if, if, you, if you're, you know, a solitary artist, a composer or a painter or or whatever. But what what has the consequence been on the broader sort of arts scene? Yeah, well, that, that's a good question. And it is a little bit variable depending on where you look. So, you know, as you say, Emil, if you're a, a composer, you might go, gosh, that's terrific. I've got a bit of uninterrupted time to, you know, do something in splendid isolation. But the truth of the matter is, is that most art forms are collaborative. Um, and even, you know, um, a composer, um, they might do the notation on their own, but actually they'll want to test how it actually sounds by working with musicians, normally, ideally live, so you can see people's faces and get the feedback. So it's probably one of the the most communal, people-oriented things that you could imagine. 
And so you won't be surprised to know that I think Treasury even um, did an assessment across you know the broad areas, and probably up there with international travel, it's been amongst the most hardest hit because practitioners to earn a livelihood by and large need to present or sell what they do to a paying public. And if you can't even rehearse because you can't congregate and you can't sell your um, offering to a li- anything live, then that's absolute devastation. So we actually received some some you know very powerful stories from people. You know, and you can imagine they're saying, you know, I was looking forward to my year in March and my calendar, you know, because mostly in New Zealand they're gig economy workers, you know, practitioners. I was looking at my calendar over April and May and June. It was pretty booked up and a bit further out. It was you know, a little bit emptier. But then by the end of April, there's absolutely nothing in my calendar. You know, so like total devastation. It's a bit of a T.S. Eliot moment, the old wasteland. So that was the context that we found ourselves in um, in April. You're a university educated guy. You 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 have a I think you have a master's degree. You know there, yeah. there are probably things you could do, which are you know more stable, better remunerated. So like, why do you do what you do? Uh, I think I just can't not do it. Uh, it's I've kind of tried to go and work other jobs, but what I end up doing is working other jobs and doing creative things on the side, and I end up burning out or having a breakdown or something like that. So I don't know. I have thought about this, and it's like. I have these dreams of, like, wouldn't it be nice to go and get, you know, an office job or doing admin stuff somewhere or something like that and then just not having this whole part of my life, which causes a lot of stress uh, and makes me quite poor. But I just, I don't think that I can do that. So I end up just, like, burning out if I try. Now, the loony left have said this is just a cheap shot by the taxpayers' union. What's wrong with a cheap shot as long as it doesn't cost the taxpayer anything? <laughs> we're just trying to shed some light on this. You know, um, 630 of these grants, we're not singling out one. We pulled out about 30 of these things. It's yep. a lot of money. It adds up to 16 million bucks. It's also a good laugh, Louis. Thank you. That's Louis Holbrook. From the, the taxpayers' union, as you alluded to before, may have some people who support them. They might have some people say, yeah, screw these guys. You know, if, um, if what you were doing was good, people would be paying money for it. Yeah, but that's that's never been the case, right? Like, Shakespeare had a patron, or had multiple patrons, and he's seen as, like, you know, the greatest writer, the greatest playwright of all time, and he couldn't survive on a commercial basis. What chance do I have? That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Stephen Wainwright and Eamon Mara. Matewa.